Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 this morning. This is uh, the well-known story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's a story that uh, prompts us to ask one of the most important questions we could ever ponder. The question being, who is Jesus Christ? We know the name, we've heard lots about him, but who is he really? And in this short story, Luke is going to tell us who Jesus Christ is. But Luke is doing more than just answering the question, who is Jesus Christ? He's showing us how as Christians, the identity of Jesus Christ shapes and governs and determines and informs the Christian life. Who Jesus is in reality defines the Christian life as we live in a world filled with troubles and tribulations. I think Luke is going to show us how those two things are intimately connected and related in this passage. But before we read God's word today, let's look to him for his blessing. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we have the utmost privilege of reading and hearing once again the living and active word of God. Today, may it be received with good hearts and may it produce fruit in our lives. Help us to take care how we hear. Lord, may the word of God make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and may it equip us to be good and faithful followers of our Savior today. Help us, Lord, to gaze upon the the beauty and the glory once again of our Savior Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we, we desperately need your help, so come and once again show us Christ and draw us to him afresh. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Where is your faith when troubling storms roll into your life? Where is your faith when 
when waves of adversity beat against you? How, how do you react? react? React with fear? Maybe a little bit of anger? Or do you, do you react with, with faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? For some of you here today, things have been pretty good. People look at your family, people look at your life, and they think, man, the Lord has been so kind to them. They just seem to have have it all together. You have a relationship with Christ. you're, You're trusting in Christ. You're communing with Christ. You're seeking to obey Christ. You look to Christ for all of your needs, and and he provides for them. And then, and then one day, suddenly, unexpectedly, trouble rolls into your life. You lose a job, or you can't find a job, or your job's not working out. The diagnosis comes back, and it's not what you wanted to hear. And suddenly, you find yourself caught in the midst of a storm, and it has rattled you to the core of your being. Or perhaps some of you are here today, and there has just been this challenge in your life that has gone on for years and years, and and you feel as though you are being buffeted by the waves over and over and over again, and you're, you're not sure how much more you can take. Maybe you've thought in your heart and prayed to God, Lord, I, I feel as though I'm, I'm perishing here. You're wondering, Lord, why is this happening? Why, why is this going on in my life? Why has this trouble come upon me? I, I never wanted this. Why do things have to be this way? And dear friends, whether trouble comes into your life suddenly or unexpectedly, or whether your life has been one long season of trouble after trouble after trouble, you and I can all agree to one thing this morning. And that is that in this life, there will be trouble. And in the midst of troubles, Jesus has a question for us today. Where is your faith? What are you you looking to? What are you trusting in? This story, it it reads like a discipleship seminar that Jesus puts on for his disciples. And he's teaching them and us about two very important things. He's teaching, first of all, about himself. He's revealing who he is to his disciples in this account. But as he does so, he's also teaching his disciples important lessons about living the Christian life in the midst of a deeply troubling world. And so that's what I want us to think about, lessons about Jesus and lessons about the Christian life. And as we learn about Jesus and the Christian life today, I want you to see how Luke is connecting these two things. There is a a fundamental principle that is driving everything that is happening in this story, and it's this. It's that our Christian lives are determined by our Christology. In other words, how we live as followers of Jesus 
flows out of our understanding of who Jesus really is. The Christian life is grounded in knowing and trusting the real Jesus. And so this story teaches us, first of all, about Christ and and who he is. And then secondly, it gives us lessons for living in a world where our lives are pervaded by trials and troubles and tribulations. And so in the first place, I think we see two lessons about who Jesus is. And, And the first lesson is that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He was and is fully and truly man, and he has been where we have been. Jesus has just gone through an exhausting season of ministry. And so we read in verses 22 through 23 that one day he, he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. It's a description of the humanity of our Lord. He's exhausted from the demands of his ministry. And so he finds a place on this fishing boat and plops down and catches some sleep. Luke doesn't doesn't tell us the background to this event. He just merely gives us the time marker that one day this event occurred. But this story is in some the other Gospels. It's in Matthew and Mark. And Mark tells us that this comes on the heels of a, of, a, of a demanding stretch of ministry. And Mark, the most recent days prior to this story, involved false accusations from the Pharisees, religious controversies, men coming together and conspiring to kill him, crowds constantly pressing in on him, his own family members thinking he's lost his mind, religious leaders accusing him of demonic possession, and every moment there's a break, a crowd, another crowd shows up and demands his attention. And Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they're so busy that they can't even stop to eat. Such were the demands upon Jesus at this time. And so Jesus gets uh, in the boat with his disciples and says, let's cross over. And I hope I'm not reading into this, but I think one of the reasons for that is simply because Jesus needed rest. He he loved the ministry his father called him to, and and he joyfully did it and fulfilled the work the father entrusted to him. But he needed to rest. He needed sleep. And so after this exhausting season of ministry, Jesus slept on the boat. Now this is no, uh, this is no cruise ship with a private bedroom and a nice comfortable bed to lay on. This is more than likely a small fishing boat that is maxed out in occupancy with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is crammed somewhere on this boat, uh, lays down, probably reeks of fish, And he sleeps. I don't know if you've ever been so exhausted that no matter where you're at, you're able to to sleep. Some of you are especially gifted at doing that. Uh, 
you know, when I, I haven't done it in a while, but used to go on multiple day backpacking trips. And on the first day that I'm out, I hardly sleep a moment at night. You're in an unfamiliar place. There are uh, creepy sounds all night and you're not sure where they're coming from. It's usually cold. You're on a hard, the hard ground. But when the second day comes around after hiking all day long, when I lay down that night and close my eyes, the next thing I know is the sun is up. Because <laughs> I'm exhausted. Physically, I'm just, I'm drained. I think that's Jesus in this passage. He's exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally. And he's so tired, this story, I think this is the reason he doesn't wake up. He's so tired. He, he's resting in his father's care, yes, but physically Jesus is is worn out. Now, why does this matter? Why am I going on about Jesus sleeping in a boat? Why does it matter that Jesus knows what it's like to be physically and emotionally exhausted? It matters because it's teaching us that we have a Savior, dear friends, who knows our frame. That the one who rules the wind and the waves understands us. You know, in the, in the words of uh, Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. As the authorized version puts it, we do not have a high priest who is, who is uh, not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And why the author of Hebrews puts, puts it in the negative, I don't know. But you see what he's saying. We do have a high priest. Who is, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He, he knows our frailty, dear friends. Now I know, I know some of you are tired. You know, for, for one reason or another, you are emotionally, physically, and perhaps spiritually running on empty. And you're wondering, you know, it... it is there ever going to be a break from the demands of, of this life? Isn't, friends, isn't there something deeply encouraging in the fact that we have a Savior who, who knows what it's like to be dead tired? He's experienced it. And to know that when you cry to him in your weakness that, that he hears, he's able to hear with a sympathetic ear. See, this matters because it shows us that we have a Savior who, who knows what it's like to be human. He was made like us in every way, yet without sin. He has been where you have been. He has been stretched to the very limits of humanity in ways that you and I can't even possibly imagine. And so when we cry out to Him, we can know for certain that he knows and understands our condition. He can look at you and say, I know how she feels. I know how he feels. What, what he felt and experienced when he walked on earth, dear friends, remains fresh in his memory and it sustains his sympathy, a sympathy that you and I can never ever exhaust. So we should be so grateful. We ought to give thanks that we have a Savior who, who took on our humanity to save us. And because he did, we have a sympathetic Savior. But there's another lesson. 
about Jesus in this story. Not only does he know what it's like to be human, but this story also tells us that he is the Lord who rules over the wind and waves. I love, I love the way Luke tells this story. Jesus is fast asleep on the boat. Because he's tired, yes, but also because he trusted in the providence of his heavenly father. And then this storm comes out of nowhere. And by the way, this is something that happens on the Sea of Galilee. It's something that happens to this day because the surface of the water is somewhere around 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by by mountains. And so cold air comes rushing through these deep gorges and and, uh, comes across the lake. And, And it's clear that this was some storm because there are fishermen on this boat And they are all kinds of out of sorts. I mean, they they think their lives are about to end. Master, master, we are perishing. You know, the water's filling up in the boat. And so you can understand their concerns. And Jesus is sleeping. (laughs) You know, I, I think there's something to notice about that. Jesus can sleep during a storm. But the moment his disciples cry out to him, he rises up and comes to their aid. You see, the way Luke tells the story, Jesus isn't bothered at all by the storm. It, it doesn't worry or fret him one bit, but the moment his weak and fretting followers cry out to him, he rises and comes to their help. You know, we need to remember that in our lives because I think it teaches us something about Christ's willingness to hear our cries, to hear our prayers. Troubles in this fallen world, dear friends, do not fret Jesus. They don't overwhelm him. But the cry of his people awakens him to our help. Now, we also need to notice here, our cries, no matter how imperfect they are. Because the cry of the disciples here is anything but perfect. As you can see in this passage, their faith is weak. Nevertheless, there's real faith there, and they're crying out to Jesus. And and Jesus doesn't say to them, where is your faith in that kind of way? He wants them to grow. He wants to challenge them, but he comes to their aid when they cry cry out to him. And then look at what Jesus does in response. And we need to, we're so familiar with this story, sometimes we just plow through it. Jesus does something here that is utterly ridiculous, utterly bizarre. He speaks to the wind and waves, right? He he rebukes them. Now, snow is slowing down now, but I want you all to get home safe today. So what if I walk outside after the service and you see me in the parking lot and I start speaking to the clouds, rebuking them because I want you to get home safely? What would you say? I mean, you'd go to one of the elders and say, you better start looking for the next pastor because Jared has lost his mind, right? He needs to be locked up in the loony bin. That's exactly what Jesus does here. Isn't it? He he speaks to the wind and the waves. It's utterly ridiculous unless 
unless your word has the power to command creation itself. Can you imagine it? The, the wind is threatening to capsize this, this ship. The waves are pouring into the boat. The disciples are terrified. And Jesus only has to speak a word. Mark tells us all he said was peace, be stilled. Actually, Greek, it's be muzzled. It's the same thing Jesus said to the, to the, to the demons. He's be muzzled, be silent. That's what Jesus says to the storm here. And the, the winds and the waves obey him. He, he only has to utter a word. A sovereign, powerful divine word, the word of the creator who who created and fashioned the heavens and the earth and now sustains them by the word of his power. And you see where this passage is leading us. Why is this story here? It's leading us to ask this question, who on earth is this man? What sort of man is this? Who is this man who a moment ago was lying asleep because he was exhausted And now commands the waves and the winds, and they obey him. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament, the message of this passage was loud and clear. Because in the Old Testament, it was the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, who created the winds and the waves. And who commanded them by his will. There's an amazing parallel. That's why you find Psalm 107 throughout our order of service today. An amazing parallel between this story and Psalm 107. I just want you to listen to it. We're told at the beginning of the psalm that the Lord commands and raises the stormy winds and lifted up the waves of the sea. And then the psalm says that there were people in boats caught in that storm. And in verses 28 through 30, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And the Lord delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves and the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. Who is this? who calms the wind and the waves. What is Luke saying to you, dear friends? It is the Lord Yahweh himself. It is God. He is the Lord who is in our flesh commanding the storm. And this is why, this is why a a fear came over the disciples. They They were terrified of the storm. But now another fear, a different kind of fear came over them because they were beginning to realize at a deeper level and with greater clarity who it was standing in this boat with them. This Jesus whom they have come to trust. This Jesus whom they've come to follow. This this Jesus whom they've come to believe is the the promised and long-awaited Messiah. This Jesus is more than a mere man. And they wouldn't have doubted the fact that Jesus was a man, friend. But he's, but he's more than that. He is the Lord who commands the winds and the waves. This is, this is the creator of the whole universe. Who placed the stars and 
the planets and the sky and knows each of them by name and who, as Hebrews tells us, upholds this universe by the word of his power. That's the man they are standing beside. The Lord Jesus Christ. And it filled their hearts with a proper fear. Now, in in this story, I think we can learn not only a lot about Jesus, but a lot about living the Christian life. And I, I want to mention four lessons that I think Jesus is teaching us today. I think the most basic lesson in this story, here's lesson number one. In this life, there will be trouble. All right, I want to make sure you hear that today. In this life, there will be trouble. Now, sometimes we experience trouble because of our own foolishness. You know, we make bad choices and the Lord allows us to reap the consequences. And, you know, you and I in one way or another have all done that kind of thing. We've all been through that kind of thing. But that is not what's going on in the story. Look at it closely. The trouble the disciples find themselves in is not the result of sin. The trouble they find themselves in is the result of their obeying Jesus. This isn't the judgment of God coming down on them for disobedience. This is trouble coming upon them because they obeyed their Lord and Master. That's something worth seeing here. If you are following a Jesus who exists to relieve you of temporary difficulties and make your life easy. I want to I say this to you today, loud and clear. You are following a Jesus that does not exist in the Bible. My friends, we follow a Jesus who leads his people into troubles at times. Not leaving them alone, but leads them into troubles. And, and that's where some of you are today. You know, in your lives, you are striving to obey Jesus. Yes, imperfectly. Yes, sometimes you stumble. But like all of us, I pray sincerely, you're striving to obey Jesus. And yet there is this looming storm that hovers over your life. But my friends, one of the lessons I think our Lord once worked down into our hearts is that discipleship does not exempt us from trouble. This is, this is a lesson repeated in this cluster of miracle stories. Did I mention this is a cluster? I didn't mention it. There are, there are, this is the first of four miracle stories in this section of Luke. And each one of them is about a person experiencing trouble, not because they have themselves done something wrong, but rather as a part of their human experience in a fallen world. The disciples didn't ask for this storm to come. The man possessed by a legion of demons did not invite these demons to come and oppress him and abuse him. The woman who, who bled for 12 long years and suffered much at the hands of physicians never wanted that. And, and Jairus, you remember him? Jairus, he, he never wanted to think about the, the prospect of burying his own daughter. And yet these troubles 
rolled and rushed into their lives just like this windstorm rushed upon the Sea of Galilee. And I think these are stories about the world we live in, a world filled with troubles and trials and heartbreak. And we need to know it will be that way until Jesus returns or calls us home. And so discipleship 101, Jesus is saying to his disciples, being a Christian does not exempt you from trouble in this life. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that you can expect it. Sometimes because, simply because you live in a fallen world, and other times because you are following a Jesus that this world hates. And yet, I think we need to ask ourselves, when, when troubles do roll into our lives, when storms come, what, what is our heart response? Why? Why is this now? God's word invites us to ask that question, doesn't it? That's what the Psalms are for. But I'm talking here about the attitude of the heart. We can ask that question in the wrong way, can't we? We can ask it from a heart of bitterness and anger. Why? Why are you bringing this into my life, Lord? I don't deserve this. Don't, don't you care about me? Have you forgotten me altogether? Well, one of the lessons of this story is that he does care, dear friends. Where is Jesus in this story? You guys get in the boat, cross the sea, we'll see how you... No, Jesus is in the boat right there alongside of them. Caring for them. I, I, I want to say this in love, but perhaps part of the challenge for us as we think about this first lesson is that in our comfortable affluent culture, we have just started to assume that our health, prosperity, and happiness is a given. You know, we've just experienced so much earthly blessing. The Lord has, humanly speaking, poured out blessings upon us so that when things get hard, we begin to think he has turned against us. You see what's going on there? Christians have begun to base God's opinion of them upon their circumstances. And it's what we can so easily do. But Jesus never promised earthly peace and prosperity. He promised tribulation in a cross. What is it that John Calvin says that I could butcher this statement if I do forgive me? God has so ordered the church from the beginning that death is the way to life and the cross is the way to victory. I think Calvin's right on there. Can, can, we, can we learn from this story that Jesus may put you in places where you think he no longer cares about you? Why would he do that, you might ask. Well, we'll think about that in a moment. But first, we, we need to see and, and we need to understand that Jesus is sovereign over all of this. He led his disciples here. And so when our faith fails, you know, when there are troubles in your home, when, 
when your marriage seems to be falling apart, when Christians are hated and persecuted in the world, when, when you lose your job or your job is failing, you can't find a job. We or someone we love, their health takes a turn for the worse. Welcome to the fallen world. We, we shouldn't... You understand, I'm not being callous here. But we shouldn't be surprised. Why? Because we are still living in the world that's under the curse. And sin brings what? Sin brings misery. And so we need to know this as we live in this world and as we await for the world that is to come. And so, you see, we need, we need our expectations to be shaped by God's word. We need our expectations to be shaped by this passage. We live in a fallen world and at some point, some of you young people are maybe listening today, what's he talking about? Life is great. At some point, dear friends, every one of us are going to be brought into storms of trouble and the waves of adversity are going to wash over us. And we should not be surprised. We shouldn't think God has abandoned us. We shouldn't immediately jump to the conclusion that he, he doesn't care. He cares. He cares. But he wants them to know that in this life, there will be trouble. Dear friends, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, troubles and trials in this fallen world, Peter is saying, are not strange. They're standard. So we as followers of Jesus must be ready. So another question we might want to ask then is, is what will sustain us when troubles do come into our lives? What is the ultimate solution to our troubles. And the clear teaching of this passage is it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus Christ. That's the second lesson in this story, that the ultimate solution to our troubles is Jesus Christ. If we get that lesson, it sweeps away so much worldly wisdom that at times creeps its way into the church. It, the lesson here is, it, it, it's not, you know, when troubles come, it's not looking deep inside of yourself for the strength to get through it. Uh, the lesson here is not God helps those who help themselves. Uh, the, the lesson is not that when things get tough, the tough get going. The lesson is not that, you know, you just need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get through this thing. And God will hold your hand through it. No, that is not at all the lesson. And it's also not that our ultimate hope and our ultimate solution is found in anything, any worldly system, politicians, governments, presidents. None of those things are the answer to our troubles. What does Jesus do? After, after this storm Jesus directs the attention of his disciples entirely outside of themselves, away from themselves to him. 
And that's because the troubles in our lives, frankly, are far, far too great for us to overcome no matter how hard we try. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there are not helps in this world for overcoming challenges in our lives. That's why I'm using the word ultimate here. The solution to our sin, the solution to the trouble of life in a fallen world, the solution to death itself is not found in us. It's found in Jesus Christ. The loud and clear lesson of this this story is that he alone is the answer to the troubles, the greatest troubles that you and I face in, in this world. And so the story, it's meant to confirm that Jesus is the one we should trust. That the man sleeping in the boat is the same one who, who spoke planets into existence. That he created the universe. And the question you ought to ask then is, what is this little, little storm on this tiny little sea of Galilee to him? You see, when they cried out, he, he stilled the storm with a word. Now, let's be clear, not to teach us that if you just pray a prayer that Jesus will immediately alleviate you of your distress and take away your troubles in this world. Now, he may do that. He does do that sometimes. But, but for many of us, this story is here to teach us that while we find ourselves beaten by the waves of adversity, that our help is in the name of the Lord. That our help comes from from Jesus Christ, who created and fashioned the heavens and the earth and who commands the waves and the sea. Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to our troubles and we can trust him, knowing that whether in life or in death, our lives are secure in his hands. Here's the third lesson. Just a couple, two more briefly here. The Christian life involves growing through troubles and trials. The Christian life involves growing through troubles and trials. So there are troubles and trials in the Christian life. We know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to our troubles. And the third lesson here is that God uses these trials and troubles to grow us as his people. For for the Christian. I hope you understand this. For the Christian, there is no such thing as meaningless suffering. Now, there there will be suffering that we can't explain. There will be things that come into our lives and in the lives of others where we say, we, we just throw up our hands and say, Lord, I have no idea what you are doing in these details. But one thing we can never say to Jesus is, Jesus, this has no meaning. This is pointless. This is meaningless. The storm, you see, had a purpose for the disciples. What was it? It was that they might know more about Jesus. Now, if you're more concerned about temporary relief in this life, then what I just said sounds stupid to you. But if you understand that the great goal of the Christian life is to know Christ and to be like Christ 
And that when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that he is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, then you will understand that in this story, Jesus has in mind the greatest possible good for his people. It was so that they would know more of him, that they would trust him more, and that they would resemble him him more in their lives. And, And so, dear friends, I hope you understand this, that the purpose of trials and troubles in our lives is that we might know our glorious God. More of his character, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his goodness. And the storm, you see, became the means by which Jesus worked in their lives. So finally, how then, how then shall we live? We, we know that troubles will come. We know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate solution to our troubles. And we know God sanctifies these troubles in our lives to grow us in the knowledge of God. How do we respond? The message of this story is that we live by faith in the Son of God. That's the the fourth lesson. Jesus is calling us here to trust him with our lives. I have never had a more simple sermon point in my life, and it may be the last time. Two words, trust him. Trust him. Trust in the one who rules over the, the winds and the waves and who has conquered Satan and sin and death. See, there will be troubles in this life. There are going to be storms that you feel as though you you might drown. But here is is our anchor. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you need to understand, because this is what people will say to you, That's mindless faith. No, no, it's not. This is not Christianity is a crutch. This is not abandoning all sense of reason and just casting yourself blindly upon Jesus Christ. No, this is putting your life and your trust and your hope and your security in the hands of the one whose hands were pierced to save you and to redeem you out of this world of trouble, dear friends. It's putting our trust in the one who has revealed all we need to know. And so the question, where where is your faith today, dear friends? In that trouble you are facing or in that trouble you will certainly face, are you trusting in Jesus or someone or something else? And this is the simple message of this story. Trust in Jesus who is our sympathetic Savior and our sovereign Lord. Know know for certain that there will be trouble. Know for certain that Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to our troubles. Know that God will sanctify your suffering to you to conform you to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so, trust him. Trust him. Trust in Christ who rules over the winds and waves. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this story about our Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, our Lord and Savior.
Help us, Lord, in the midst of trials and difficulties to cast ourselves upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.